Father God, would you help us as we come to your word, as we consider this topic of giving, as we reflect on our own lives and in particular on what you have given us in Christ. Please would you help us to see what you're saying here in your word by your Holy Spirit so that we might be made more like Jesus individually and as a church. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Henry Ford was the founder of the Ford Motor Company. And he was also a great philanthropist who gave money to all kinds of good causes. And one time he visited Ireland, where his family originally came from. And as soon as he stepped off the boat in Cork, he was approached by the owners of a local orphanage who asked him for a donation towards some rebuilding works. And he was used to approaches of this kind, and he promptly took out his checkbook and he wrote a cheque for £2,000, which was a considerable amount of money in those days, maybe about 100 years ago. And the, uh, the, the next day, the local newspaper published a headline. He'd given £2,000. They wrote, Henry Ford gives £20,000 to orphanage. Very clever. Get out of that now, Henry Ford. Well, the owners of the orphanage phoned Henry Ford and said, well, we're terribly sorry. It must have been a mistake. We're very happy to contact the newspaper and tell them to print a correction. No need for that, replied Henry Ford. I'll give you the extra £18,000 on one condition. That you allow me to choose a quote from the source of my choice to go over the door in the newly rebuilt orphanage. Of course, said the owners of the orphanage, clearly delighted. What quote would you like? Well, it's a quote from Matthew's Gospel in the Bible. I was a stranger and you took me in. Think about it. Well, no, no one likes being compelled into giving what they're not willing or able to give. And on the whole, money isn't something we particularly like to talk about, in Britain at least. I don't know how it is in other cultures, but in Britain we specialise in feeling awkward about a whole range of matters. But talking about money would definitely be at the top of that list. And maybe we have a similar feeling when it comes to talking about Christian giving. So this is the, the last in our little series of talks that we've had looking at this um, bit of Acts chapter 2. As we've read the description of the church and we've picked out these five marks of a healthy church. And uh, this, is, this is the last one we're going to look at. And we hear, as we read that, as we heard that read before, we, we hear about them sharing all their possessions and selling things to care for one another. And maybe we think, well, you know, that's a bit awkward. Is that really realistic? And it's helpful to remember as we, um, as we look at Acts chapter 2, and we've seen this in different ways each time, 
Description is not the same as prescription. Description is not the same as prescription. This is a description of the early church. This is what they were like. But how do we know what just happened to be true of them, for different reasons? How do we know what ought to be true of us? Particularly when you read the the rest of the New Testament and you realise, for example, that other Christians did continue to own property, and yet they cared for each, for each other. How do we work out what the church today ought to look like? That's where these chapters in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians are helpful. Because he's a lot more prescriptive in his instructions on giving and, and also in the motivation for it. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and uh, a bit from chapter 9 on page 1162. Have a look at it. We're going to see, first of all, the grace of giving from verses 1 to 9 in chapter 8. The grace of giving. So look at that. Verse 1. Paul wants to tell the Corinthian churches about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. And there's a surprise here because normally when we talk about grace, what do we mean? We mean God's grace to us in Christ. His undeserved love that he's shown through sending Jesus to die for us. And yet Paul is saying that the grace God has given the Macedonians is seen actually in how they give to others. So they've been generous even when it's been really hard. Verse 2. They've seen giving as a joy, not as a burden. And they've given even beyond their ability, which probably means far more than expected. Far more than you might expect they might give, rather than, for example, that they gave beyond their ability and went into debt or something like that. More than expected. And they pleaded for the opportunity to give. They said, please, please let us give. And they've seen that as an amazing privilege. Isn't that the opposite of how we so often think about giving money away, we we so easily think of it as a burden. And we emphasise the cost, at least to ourselves internally. You know, what we must do without. And we imagine it, you know, it's our duty. We feel we must do it as a discipline, perhaps. But could we call it a joy or a privilege? It seems slightly counterintuitive. Well, Paul says the reason for the difference between the Corinthians, who might have been feeling a bit more like that, and the Macedonians, who see giving as an amazing privilege, the difference between us, perhaps, and the Macedonians, is that the Macedonians have received a gift of grace from God, the gift of giving freely and joyfully. Where then does this gift come from? Well, Paul spells it out in verse 9. If you look, he says... For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So here is where we will find the motivation to give and to give generously and joyfully, because we serve a giving God. What did Jesus give? You know, was it, was it a, a gesture in the direction of humanity, a token of goodwill? 
the, the equivalent of the loose change in his pocket, a portion of his wealth. Well, no, he gave far more than that. He gave himself. Though he was rich, Paul says, though he was rich, though he was worthy of being carried through the streets like a king, though he, he, he should have been living in a royal palace, well, instead he carried a cross through the streets and he was enthroned on that cross. He gave it all up. He became poor. Why? Well, for your sake, says Paul. He did it for us so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And quite clearly at that point, rich doesn't mean materially prosperous. You know, Jesus didn't die to boost our bank balance, did he? But when he died, he gave us something of infinite, immeasurable value. He gave us himself, and he, through him giving himself, he gave us the possibility of knowing him forever. So that means that if we are a Christian, we already possess the most valuable possible asset that we can ever own. Because we have Jesus. It's often said that however much we give of our own assets or whatever it is, however much we give, we cannot outgive God. Isn't that right? We cannot outgive what God has given us. And that then is the motivation for all the giving that Christians do. And it results, verse 4, in service. The word there is the same word used for worship in the Old Testament temple. So it, this, 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 is their, this is their worship. Verse 5, they gave themselves to the Lord. As always in the Christian life, God has given himself to us and in response, we give ourselves to him in worship. We give ourselves freely, joyfully, thankfully. So it's just worth pausing to take that in. If you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet trusting in Jesus, you're welcome here and we're delighted that you're with us. But we don't really want your money. That's so often what people assume the church is about, sadly. No, no, we want you, first and foremost, to know this grace in Jesus Christ. The riches of knowing Jesus who died so that you might live. That is what we want you to know, that grace. That is what matters most. But if perhaps we're trusting in Christ, and we understand that, we know what that means, but we, we struggle with money and we struggle with giving generously and joyfully, well, the solution then is to come back to the grace that God has given us. If that's not our driving motivator for our whole life and not just our finances, then actually we're not ready to give at all. So that first then is the grace of giving, the driving motivator in all that we do. But then we see also in these verses the practice of giving. And in the rest of these couple of chapters that we have here, I want to pick out a few practical pointers to how we give once we have received that grace of giving in Christ. 
So uh, let's have a look at that. First, we give abundantly. Abundantly. And we've we've seen this already in, in some ways. Because Jesus didn't give a little bit of what he had, he gave himself. Now, often when we talk about Christian giving, we, you know, we throw around figures like a tithe of maybe 10% or something like that. And, you know, that, that comes from the Old Testament. Israel were to give a tenth of their crops. Actually, it slightly depends on how you measure that tithe and which bits you read at different times. But 10% is certainly there somewhere in, in the Bible as a good place to start. But the thing is, for Christians, giving is not a rule. It comes as a response to God's grace to us. And it comes in recognition that nothing we have lasts forever. So everything is a gift from God. And so the question is not just, you know, how much do I have to give? No, the question is, how are you going to use everything you have given, whether in the world's terms that is huge amounts of resources or whether it's much more modest? It doesn't really matter how much it is. The question is, How are we we going to use all of it for God's glory and his kingdom? But in terms of actually giving away and supporting the local church and supporting other causes, well, for some, 10% will be too much. And Paul isn't suggesting that Christians get into debt in order to be able to give. Verse 11, if you look at that, it's according to our means. Verse 12, it's according to what we have, not what we don't have. Verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. So perhaps for some, 10% would be too much. But for others, actually 10% would only be scratching the surface of what might be possible. And it's also worth saying that our abundant giving is not simply about money it's just it's about giving ourselves our talents our time our energy just as Jesus gave his whole self to us so we have to do we have to bear all that in mind as we as we think about what, what it looks like to be abundant in our giving and we know that, that, that many people do respond abundantly to what God has given them and give very generously And that is why the church in Acts 2 got to the point where it was said of them that they held their possessions in common. That was how they, in their particular context, worked this out in practice. Now, we may work it out differently, but the point is, when we realise that Jesus is our most valuable asset, that we are rich in Christ, we'll be looking for reasons to give abundantly. We'll be looking for more ways to give rather than looking for excuses for holding back. So Sir John Lane founded the Lane uh, Construction Group, which, among other things, built the first motorway in Britain and presided over hundreds of well-known construction projects. He was a multimillionaire and he was also a Christian who was involved in the founding of UCCF, the, the University Christian Union movement, and he was also involved in founding what is now London School of Theology. But he was known not just for his wealth, which was clearly immense, but also for his extraordinary generosity. And when he died at the age of 99 in 1978, his estate was valued 
at £371. And that wasn't because he'd squandered it. It's because he'd given it away. Now, not all of us have the capacity to give like that. And of course, we need to care appropriately for our families, for our dependents. But even with this extraordinary wealthy multimillionaire, there could be no doubt where his treasure was. Do you see? So Christians give abundantly in response to God's grace to us. And then secondly, that we give trustingly. I suspect that one of the reasons we struggle to give is that we don't completely trust God to care for our needs. There's a little reference in in verse 15 here in chapter 8, if you look. It's a little quote from uh, Exodus chapter 16, when Israel were in the desert. And they had to learn to trust God to provide for their daily needs, which he did by sending manna and quail from heaven for them to eat. But he never allowed them to collect too much. He never allowed them to collect more than they would need. And when they tried to do that in a sort of attempt to kind of, well, we better make hay while the sun shines and get it stored up so that we can have some tomorrow in case it doesn't come then. No, when they did that, it went bad. It was to be a day at a time, trusting him, one day at a time. And then look at verse 8 in chapter 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do we really believe this? God is able to care for you, to care for what you need. More than that, he will increase your store of seed, Paul goes on. If you look over the page. He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be made rich in every way. What kind of extraordinary promise is this? He's promising that he will give us what we need. This isn't the malicious deception of the televangelist on the God channel. You know, oh, give £823 today and you will have £10,000 next week. No, it's not that. But it's saying that when we are generous, when we are open-hearted we will find that we have what we need. Not necessarily what we want, all other things being equal, but what we need in order to live. And and more than that, that God will make us more like Jesus. That is the harvest of righteousness. And ultimately, that is what it means to be rich, actually, as far as the Bible is concerned. Spiritually rich because you have Jesus. Jesus. But with that, God consistently promises to provide what we need as we serve him. So I remember when I was training to be a vicar, and we were living as a, a, a students, effectively, where you're, you're on a pretty tight budget, and we went through some tight financial times, and it was easy to think, well, okay, better forget about giving then. But the surprising thing was, and I don't know if other people have found this in their lives, it wasn't until we had really sorted out our giving, prayed about it and and decided what to do, it wasn't until we'd done that that we found that we stopped keeping on going into the red. Do we trust God enough to give him the first fruits of what we have? 
not just whatever is left over at the end. Maybe this is a challenge to us to examine where we put our trust and confidence. Is our security really the bank balance and the savings and the pension and everything else? Or can we say we have our trust firmly in God to provide for us? And again, if Jesus is our treasure, it's even possible that we might take a few risks that our non-Christian neighbours around us in North London and beyond would think we would never take that kind of risk. They say, no, you're crazy. No, no, but if your treasure is Christ, maybe you can sit a little lighter to these things because we know we can never lose what really matters. So give abundantly, give trustingly, then give thoughtfully. This is chapter 9, verse 7. Each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So fundamentally, Christian giving is a matter between each individual Christian and God. There's no rule, no, no, no bill. And it's important to say, you know, I and the trustees and the staff do not know and do not want to know the details of what any individual gives to St. John's. We ask the finance team who deal with that to, to keep the details confidential. There is no membership fee for being part of Christ's church. But what we're called to do is to get the space to think and pray and give according to what we are able to do. When you look through the New Testament at other things that Paul especially says about giving, it's clear that he envisages the majority of Christian giving going to support churches, their own church, other churches, and further to the poor, particularly poor Christians who are really struggling, particularly in that culture where there was no other way that they were going to be cared for. And that's why it's important that we as a church in Hampstead are supporting St. Clement's Church in Manchester, which is in one of the poorest parts of Manchester. And we have a link with them. Uh, and we also support London City Mission, working with prostitutes and drug users in the King's Cross area. It's important that we have those kinds of links as a church. But it's, it's good that we as individuals give spontaneously as well, especially when we hear of a specific need. But actually, if we only ever give spontaneously, it's hard to, 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 to say that we're doing so thoughtfully in the way that Paul describes here. Sit down, get some a time of quiet, and pray about what you should be doing with what God has given you. Of course, you know, we would all say it would be a lot easier if the, if the Bible just put a number on it. Just tell me, is it, is it 5%, is it 10%, is it 20%? Just tell me what it is so I can tick the box, I can move on. But Paul says, no, you need to work that out in the light of your individual circumstances in prayer with God. And in some ways that feels kind of precarious, it feels kind of risky. There used to be a restaurant on Finchley Road, well, I lived in West Hampstead a number of years ago, and uh, it was called Just Around the Corner. I don't know if anybody else remembers it. Um, and this, this particular restaurant was unique because instead of putting prices on the menu, they said, pay as much as you feel the meal is worth. 
and uh, guess what? There was a sign on the door that said, no students. <laughs> and it was a reasonable restaurant. And it always felt slightly awkward going there. Remember how British people feel about money? Because, you know, if you didn't quite pay enough, then the manager would come round and he'd basically give you a little kind of guilt trip to try and get you to pay a little bit more. You know, only £40, sir, with a bottle of wine, sir. What was the problem? Please let me put it right. You know, all that kind of thing. Well, the restaurant eventually closed down. And it's not hard to see that that is a pretty hard business model to pursue. But in the church, give as much as you like is precisely how Paul puts it. You see? Because the primary motivation is the grace of God. Who can put a number on that? Who can put a value on that? So give thoughtfully after prayer and careful consideration. And then in the second half of that same verse, give cheerfully. Cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. How then can giving be cheerful? Well, as, we, as we've seen all, all the way through this, we've seen it's only when we understand the riches that we have in Christ that no recession can take away, no thieves can steal. You know, we all know that money can cause incredible heartache and pain and frustration and it can, for many, become a huge idol. But the most content and cheerful in the world are often those who sit loose to the trappings of wealth. God loves a cheerful giver. I heard an interview uh, with the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, a few uh, years ago, where he was asked about his thoughts on wealth and how to stop it becoming an idol, and, and he put it very bluntly. He just said, the easiest way to stop money becoming an idol is to give it away. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Can you see the results then in verses 12 to 15 as Paul finishes the, this section? The results of being like this are that praise and thanks go to God. People will praise God for how you are living out your faith because of his surpassing grace. And so in the end, all the glory will go to him. I know in my own heart, giving doesn't always come cheerfully. And it's easy as we've seen it as a it's easy to see it as a necessary duty just to sort of tick it off the list rather than a cause of joy and celebration as we live out God's grace to us. So how can we help each other? How can we help each other to give like the early church, like the Macedonians? Well, we can help each other by sticking with the gospel of grace, by reminding each other in many different ways, daily, weekly, as we meet together in small groups, as we meet together in, in many different ways, by reminding each other of God's goodness to us in the gospel. That is how we will become cheerful givers. We can encourage each other to live out the gospel of grace in the world. So why don't we take a moment now, just to, in quiet for a moment, to reflect on our own response to this, to reflect on it, whether Christ is our ultimate treasure, how we are giving, and whether that can be described as abundant, trusting, thoughtful,
and cheerful. Let's have a moment of quiet before I pray. Father God, as we reflect on these things, we pray we would be people who understand your grace that you have shown to us in Jesus. Who, though he was rich, for our sakes became poor, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Father, we pray that if we've not yet understood that and not yet put our trust in Jesus, that we would do so first and foremost. And then having grasped that, that you would show us what it means to respond abundantly, trustingly, thoughtfully and cheerfully. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.